good morning once again. So one of the things that uh, I may have mentioned before um, is that I did not grow up going to church. Uh, so I didn't grow up as a church kid, you know, kind of in Sunday school every week and, and going to worship with my family. It was important for my sister um, and I in our household to be Christians. Uh, my parents told us uh, about, you know, Jesus and that we had to believe in him and accept Jesus into our heart and be forgiven for our sins and all those kinds of things. But church was never really a part um, of our regular rhythms as a family. And so by the time I graduated high school, I was, you know, I remembered going to church maybe a handful of times. And then when I graduated high school, uh, I started kind of asking the question, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because I self-identify as Christian. I kind of put that label on myself, but I never really lived into it. And so I was, you know, uh, just starting college. My sister was just starting medical school. And we were kind of um, both asking that question, what does it really mean to live life as a Christian? And so I started uh, going to church. I was just like, I'm just going to start going to church. And we only knew of one church. We'd been invited to a church maybe three or four years prior by some friends. And so we just went to that one. It was a church out in North York called Still Meadow Church of the Nazarene. And that was the first church that I ever got connected to. And once I got connected to a local church and to a gathered body of believers, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I love going to church. Um, you know, I was getting regular teaching for the first time, and so I found myself uh, growing just in my faith and growing intellectually and just like, wow, there's so much more to this than I realized. Uh, for the first time, you know, I had fellowship with other believers and with other Christians, and so just gathering with people that were further down the road in life and further down the road in faith than I was was really enlightening and, and really interesting. It was the first time I was involved in service. Right? So, so volunteering and serving other people and doing ministry that way. And I, I loved it. And, and I loved church so much that obviously, like over a couple of years, I decided, hey, I want to become a pastor. Like I want to be involved in this with the rest of my life. But one of the great ironies about being a pastor, and it's this way in a lot of different professions, but one of the great ironies about being a pastor is, is that once you move into a position once you move into a place of authority, right, where you're involved in that thing that you love, whatever it is, on a day-to-day -day basis, your relationship with that thing changes, right? So it's kind of ironic. You enjoy experiencing this thing. You enjoy participating in this thing so much that you want to do it as your career, as your profession. You want to have a hand in leading it and creating it. But once you take that step and you become a leader in it, your relationship with that thing changes. Right? And you never experience that thing that you loved in quite the same way ever again. Some of you might know what, what I'm talking about with your careers and your passions. It's a little bit um, like making hot dogs, okay? So some of you may love hot dogs. And you say, man, hot dogs are the best food. They're just, they're so good, and they're, they go great with a ball game or great with a picnic, and they just remind me of summertime, and I want to devote my life to making hot dogs. And then you see how hot dogs are made. <laughs> and then you go, oh, I don't know if I ever want to eat a hot dog again. Yes, and that is actually a picture of what they inject into hot dogs. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, it, it can feel that way too, that, oops, sorry, go back. Can you go back for me? Thanks. 
Uh, unfortunately, sometimes in the church, it can be that way too, that, that we see behind the curtain in certain things, and we never quite recover because we see how certain things are done. And so I say all of this today um, kind of as a preamble to the message, um, because what we're going to be talking about is being faithful in presence in the church. So being f- present in worship, um, being present in gatherings in, with other Christ followers on a regular basis. And I say this as a preamble um, because when we said we were going to talk about this topic and do these five series, or the, do these five sermons in this series, I got a little nervous. Because this series that we're in right now is called Fully Committed. And the fully, or deeply committed, and the deeply committed series is all about the five things that basically you sign up for in membership when you join this church. The five things that you are committed to do. And unfortunately, I have seen this sermon and sermons like it preached in a way that makes me think of making hot dogs. Okay, preached in a way that, that just haven't had the right motivations behind it, haven't had the right heart and the right spirit behind it. Because when we talk about faithfulness in coming to church, when we, when we talk about faithfulness in gathering and being part of this body and this church, this sermon can devolve very quickly into a few different things. It can, first of all, devolve into a guilt trip, right? That, that I stand up here and I make you feel bad for all the weekends that you don't come to church. And that's not what we want to do. I've also seen this sermon preached as a sales pitch, where the pastor stands up and gives you all of the reasons why this church is the best church, and this church is better than any other church, and why you should come here over any other place. And we don't want to do that either. And I've also seen this sermon preached with some some more worldly goals in mind, right? That I would preach this sermon and encourage you to be faithful in your presence to this church so that we can have more people in the seats, so that our numbers rise, so that our offering looks good, all of those kinds of things. And my fear as we kind of started this series is that we would come off of try- as trying to do one of those things, where we just encourage people to come, encourage people to be faithful in their presence in a way that's not about God, but in a way that is just about supporting the institution. Does that make sense? And so as we start, before I even launch into what we're going to talk about today, I just want you for a moment to hear our heart in this series as pastors, to hear what it is we're trying to do. Because these five things that we're talking about, prayer, presence, gifts, service, and witness, these are the five things that are tried and true things that bring us closer to Jesus. These are the five commitments of membership that that are not meant to just make good church members or good church people, whatever that might look like, but these are five things that help us grow into committed believers, people who are committed to the mission and the work of Jesus in the world to seek and save the lost. And so as as we kind of continue through this series, I want you guys to remember that and remember that that is the heart behind this, that this is about growing in our relationship with God. And I think that's a vital thing for us to, to just remember. So as we start this morning, I just want to pray um, and just pray for our posture as we, as we hear and as we speak um, what, what's going to be happening today. Can we pray? Um, Heavenly Father, as, as we dive into your word, I would just ask that you um, would check our hearts, that for, for me, for me standing up here, 
um, that you would make sure that my heart is in the right place and that this would be all about um, our growth and our knowledge of you and our relationship with you and our relationship with one another and not about what the numbers look like on a Sunday morning. And for the people, Lord, who are listening to this, the, the people that are in the congregation that you'll be speaking to, Lord, we pray for their hearts as well, um, that they would hear your voice and your presence in all that we say and do in the time to come. We give you thanks, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we read a couple moments ago from the book of Hebrews, and it was Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and it goes like this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I want to focus on that phrase, not giving up meeting together. See, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people um, who, for whatever reason, in their context, um, had stopped meeting together. They had stopped coming to church. They had stopped gathering on a regular basis. And we don't know exactly why. Um, They were never really told. Could have been persecution. Could have been heresy. uh, Could have been certain leadership issues in the church. We don't know. But what we do know is that people were abandoning the church and just leaving, not coming back. And before I go on, I want to be real clear about something, that, and most of us know this, but the church is not the building, right? We know that, that the church um, is the name that is given to a group of people who belong to Jesus. That's the church. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus kind of pitches the idea of the church to his disciples, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the word that he uses there that we translate as church is this, the ecclesia. Okay, it's, uh, it's a Greek word that just simply means, oops, how did that happen? It's, just, it's a Greek word that just simply means the gathering. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I'm going to put you into a gathering. And so, for Jesus' mind, all the church is, is just a gathering of his people. The church is the gathering of Jesus' people. And what's happened over time is that we have come to define the church as the building, Right? We've come to define the church as the place, not the gathering of people, but as the institution itself. And the problem with thinking of the church that way is that the church is always there. Right? The church doesn't depend upon me or you showing up, because the church just always exists, because it's a building in place. But as we read Jesus' words, what we see, inherent in Jesus' definition of the church, is that we would gather right, that we would be the ecclesia, that we would be his gathering. And so one way to think about this is this, that, that the gathering creates the church, the church doesn't create the gathering. So when the gathering comes together, that is when the church is constituted. It's also important to remember that when we talk about the ecclesia, when we talk about the gathering, we're not just talking about Sunday mornings, right? So we're not just talking about between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. at Spry on Sundays, Anytime we come into God's presence as a group, Bible studies, small groups, classes, fellowship, anytime that this happens, that we gather in Jesus' name, right, that we're listening to Jesus' command to gather, that is when the ecclesia happens, okay? So there's just some things to get out of the way to begin. But as we look at the book of Hebrews, what we see is that people had given up on the gathering. People had given up on the ecclesia, And what's interesting is that it's actually pretty similar for us and our culture. If you look at the American church, a similar thing is happening. 
So um, about 75% of people in the U.S. identify themselves as Christians. So if you just walk up to somebody on the street, any adult on the street, and ask them what religion they are, they would say, I'm a Christian, about 75%. And it's usually reported that somewhere around 40% of the nation goes to church on Sunday. 40%. So if you ask somebody, that's self-reported again. So if you ask somebody, do you go to church on Sunday? 40% will say that they did. And so the first thing that we see is there's already a disconnect there, right? 75% say they're Christians, but only 40% say they show up on a Sunday morning. So there's already a gap. But if you dig a little bit deeper and you actually look at attendance, what you see is that only about 25% of the country is in church three out of every eight weekends in a year. So 25% of the country is only in church three out of every eight weekends, which means it's your average Christian, your average person who self-identifies as a Christian person, gathers with other Christians, gathers with other Jesus followers less than 20 times in an entire year. And there's plenty of reasons, right, for us to skip church. There's plenty of reasons for us not to be here. Vacations and sports and hobbies, scheduling conflicts of all kinds. And let's be honest, sometimes when we get up, the pillow just looks really good, right? And it's hard to get up and get a shower and get dressed and get out of bed. Uh, I'm, I like the show Arrested Development. It's on Netflix. I don't know if any of you have ever watched it. But there is um, a place in the show um, that is a brunch place. And the name of the brunch place is Skip Church's Bistro. Okay? So Skip Church obviously being a double meaning. Um, Skip Church being the guy who started it. Skip Church being what you do to go to brunch. And sometimes that is our temptation. Sometimes that is exactly what we do. And so the temptation for us is exactly the same as it was for the Hebrews 2,000 years ago, right? That, that we would, for whatever reason, abandon gathering as a people. But here's the thing. We cannot become fully formed disciples of Jesus. We cannot be faithful followers of Jesus if we're not gathering regularly with other believers, if we're not regularly in community. And this, this flies in the face of what we usually think about culturally, right? Because culturally, as American people, as good Westerners, we think that we can do anything on our own. That's what we're always taught, right? So, so if you're on tough times, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't have a job? Start a business. Be an entrepreneur. Need an education? You don't need a classroom. You don't need a group of people. Get online. Take a course. What's this weird rash that I have? Go to WebMD, self-diagnose, right? We're taught that we don't need anybody else. And we're, this, this, this mindset is even bleeding into the church a little bit. I was talking to a pastor this week who who's works uh, at a congregation that's one of the pioneers, a big, big, big church in the country. And, and one of the things that they're talking about is trying to find a way to have an online congregation. Now, you've been able to, to listen to sermons and watch sermons and watch worship online for a long time now. But what they're talking about is a full church, a full body that meets every single week solely online, solely through their computers. And one of the things that he's saying is one of the things we have to figure out is singing and worship, right? How do you unite people together to worship before God in a context like that? And as he's talking about this, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of an important piece of what we do, right? And maybe I'm, I'm stodgy and old school or, you know, just not progressive enough, but I think that there is real value in the gathering, 
real value in being with somebody that you can touch and smell and, and say hello to, right? That you can be next to somebody. And I believe that God feels that way too. And so I think our culture does, a, does us a disservice when it gives, those, gives us those messages about individualism. Because as you read the scriptures, what you see is that when God calls somebody, he doesn't call them as an individual, right, and just leave them out there wandering in the wilderness. When God calls an individual, he calls them to be part of a people. He always calls us to be part of a people. I mean, just go through scripture. You can go from beginning to end and look at the major figures. Abraham, Abraham had no community. He called him to be the leader of a nation, right? So he said, you're not going to do this thing alone. You're going to lead a group of people. Moses, same thing. He said, I'm going to make you the leader of my people. And you know what? They're going to annoy you to no end. (laughs) So I'm not going to let you do this thing on your own. You're going to take this people into the wilderness, and you're going to have this community, like it or not. Rahab, she was saved. She was spared. And what did she do? She didn't just stay as she was. She became a part of the people of Israel, and on and on and on. And so the idea that we can remain alone, that we can remain isolated after God calls us just isn't how God has worked historically. He calls individuals, but he calls us to community. The other thing that we find as we read through the Old Testament uh, is that God is really serious about bringing people together. There's multiple, um, multiple verses, dozens and dozens of verses about bringing people together. Deuteronomy chapter 31, assemble the people Men and women and little ones and the sojourner within your towns, that they may learn and uh, that they may learn to fear the Lord and hear Him. Um, Psalm 50 says this: Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me. And so there is just time and time again God commanding people to gather. And you could throw in dozens of verses um, in place of the two that I just that I just referenced. And so what would happen was God built these, these communal gatherings into the life of Israel in the Old Testament. And they did, he did this because there are certain things that God just does more forcefully in community. Right? There are certain things that he does more forcefully when we gather together. A lot of these festivals are celebrations. Think about your own celebrations, right? How many times do you celebrate alone? Probably not all that often. It's much more powerful, it's much more significant to to celebrate with others. We get together for birthdays and anniversaries and we share pictures of of milestones on Facebook because we have an urge to celebrate together. There's no such thing as a one-person potluck. That's called dinner, right? When was the last time you saw a wedding without a reception or some kind of gathering or celebration afterwards? It just doesn't happen. And that's because our experiences are more powerful in community. Some of the regular gatherings for teach, uh, of Israel were for remembrance. Passover is that way. Get together as a group to retell the story. Why? Because each person has a different piece of the story that they bring to the table, and it's more powerful as a group. And so God uses that instinct in us to form and mold our faith. And, there are, and, and this idea has carried over into the New Testament age. It's carried over into the church. That we are commanded to gather. That we are commanded to be in community. That we are commanded to be together as we worship. When we're saved by Christ, we are saved to a community. When we are saved by Christ, we're saved to the church. Not out on our own, but as a part of the church. 
And so being faithfully present as God's people has always been what God asks of individuals, and it's also what he asks about us, or asks of us. God receives a special kind of devotion and a special kind of glory from us being together, and we receive a special kind of presence and a special kind of blessing when we gather. And we see that throughout the entire Bible. So that kind of answers the question of why. Why do we gather? We gather because this is how God has made us, but what are we really missing when we don't? Because the temptation, like I said, is always there. And we, we all, all, all of us have skipped church at some point or another and just said, eh, not worth my time, not worth my day. I'm just going to go and go to the golf course or go to breakfast or go shopping, whatever it might be. But why isn't it possible to be fully formed disciples without being faithful in our presence? I started this morning by talking about how I didn't grow up in the church. Right? And so the, uh, the idea that you would gather faithfully every single week with a group of people to worship just wasn't on my radar, just wasn't something that was really by my nature. I thought growing up that it was all about me and my faith in Jesus, and as long as he and I were good, then everything else was fine too. But what I quickly learned when I started attending regularly and I started being involved in church and started studying what the Bible says is just how social our faith is, just how relational what it is God calls us to be. And so John Wesley uh, is quoted as saying, there is no holiness but social holiness. And what he means by that is that a lot of our faith depends upon how we live it out in relationship with other people. For me, in those early days, um, I would go to the rescue mission in York City with the youth group. The first Friday, we would go to the rescue mission every single, every single month. And it was there that I experienced Jesus in a brand new way. That, that community, that service, um, you know, that gathering of people helped me see a new side of God, a new side of Jesus that I had never experienced before. Some of my first sermons that I ever preached were at the rescue mission in York. And so I looked to that time as a time when God formed me in community. And it's my conviction today that for each and every one of you, God has something new, God has something different, God has something unique that he wants to do in your life, in a gathering that he would not otherwise do if you were on your own. In the New Testament, um, there are 59 one another commands. I don't know if you know what I mean by a one another command, but 59 times the Bible says to do something to one another. And it comes from Jesus, and it comes from Paul, and it comes from the other disciples. And it says things like this, submit to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, bear one another, carry one another's burdens. And the real simple and basic fact is that you can't one another somebody if there's no one else around, right? If you're all on your own, you can't one another someone. And so what we are called to do as disciples is to one another, one another, even what we're reading from today, from today in Hebrews says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And so in order for us, on just a real basic, simple level, to live out what Scripture teaches us about being a Christian is that we have to be in community because we have to be able to one another one another. But there's another reason to live these things out. There's another reason to do this. And it goes beyond our own experience of discipleship. And it's about the rest of the world. I don't know how many of you um, this week kept up with the, the Kavanaugh and Ford testimonies. 
I did. I watched a lot of it. And, and as I watched it, I just felt sad. I felt sad for everybody involved because there just are no winners in a case like this. Everybody gets plowed under to some degree or another, no matter who comes out on top. But the other reason I felt sad is because I feel like this week said volumes about our culture and about our world. That in this world in which we live, it is exceedingly difficult to tell truth from lies. Because what we have is two people that are 100% certain that they have the correct account of what did or did not happen. Who do we believe? I felt sad because everything in public discourse now becomes violent and becomes ugly. Everything in politics becomes personal. Everything is polarized and is partisan. The search for truth is secondary to personal and political agenda. We don't love our enemies, we just gun them down. And that's not unique to Republicans, and it's not unique to Democrats, and it's not even unique to the United States of America. It's just part of human nature. It's just how we are. And so when we come into the church, no wonder we have a hard time coming to church and fully committing, right? No wonder we walk into this place keeping other people at arm's length. No wonder I have a hard time one-anothering one another, as Jesus says, when the first question and sometimes the only question I'm asking is, can I really trust you? But as I watched, in addition to feeling sad, I also felt a conviction. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I felt strongly as I watched this week that right now, more than any other time in our nation's history, that our society needs the church. And, and the society needs the church not to fix what's wrong with our culture, not to legislate against it, but to demonstrate that in God, through Christ, there is a different way to live. That there is a different way to have community. That there is a community that exists inside of this country where you're not dominated by sniping and by backbiting and by anger. That there's a community of people where violence and destruction against our enemies is not the way it is. That there's a community that's focused on love and focused on fellowship and flourishing and trust and friendship. Where the highest concern isn't me, isn't my agenda, isn't my politics or my wants or my desires. The highest concern is one another. And if we take Jesus' words to heart, then the world will recognize that we belong to him if we one another, one another well. I want to read you... Um, a quick passage from a book that I've been reading. It's called Irresistible. It's written by a pastor named Andy Stanley. And he says, Once upon a time, the one another culture of the church stood in sharp contrast to the bite and devour one another culture of the pagan world. Within that context, pagans found the church to be somewhat irresistible. This was especially true for women, children, and the economically disadvantaged. Everybody wants to be one another. Everybody wants to feel included in a community characterized by one another love. 
And while the gravitational pull of vertical morality is always towards individual spirituality, the driving force behind horizontal morality is one another. The one another way, the way of Jesus, appeals to something that resides in the soul of every man, woman, and child. The one another appeals to our desire to be included, recognized, and loved. And that's the kind of church that I want. That's, and that kind of church is not possible without your faithful presence. Because you have already discovered what they out there need to know. You've discovered in God that we find peace, we find trust, we find love, we find forgiveness and reconciliation and community. And when they come to find an alternative to the world's politics, what they need to find is you here building that community and living that one anothering out. When they arrive, when they see you, they need to find you one anothering one another. Your faithful presence is what builds this place. Your faithful presence is what builds this community. And so that's our call. That's our duty. And that's what it means to be fully committed with our presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, uh, you've called us to be light in the darkness. And this week, um, a lot of weeks are this way, if we're honest. But this week especially, we saw a lot of darkness. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would empower each and every one of us by your Holy Spirit to be faithful with our gifts and faithful with our presence, faithful to show up um, and just be your people week in and week out because we know that we live in the midst of a hurting world and a dangerous world and a dark world, Lord, that needs an alternative, that people who are stressed and who are hurt and who are just plowed under by this world need a place, Lord, where they can have hope and forgiveness and community. And so we pray that you would just empower us at Spry Church to be that community here in York, here in Pennsylvania, here in the United States of America. Lord, we give you thanks for this opportunity. We give you thanks for this high calling and just ask that you would give us courage to stand up and respond to it. For we do all these things in the great name of your son, Jesus, who taught us that when we pray, we should pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.